Well, good morning. Uh, it's great to be with you here. Uh, my name is Jared Ott. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, if you've been with us the past few weeks, you know that we've been in the series on the Lord's Prayer, where we're looking at the Lord's Prayer passage by passage. And this week, we're going to look at one of the, the, the foundations of this passage on forgiveness. And as you know the Lord's Prayer well, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. One of the things that I want us to think about and consider as we look at this passage this morning, understand that one cannot go without the other. One passage cannot go without the other. They're intertwined. But before we get there, let me pray for us this morning. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for the fact that uh, you teach us in your word how to uh, live our lives, Father, free from uh, bitterness and resentment and anger, Father. Father, thank you for teaching us in your word. Father, pray that you speak through me now, Father. Pray that my lips are your lips, my heart is your heart, Father. Now, Father, we are not just hearers of the word, but we are doers of it as well. Father, thank you for today. Be with us in our time together. We ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. You know, I think about the uh, passage of when I was looking at the passage of forgiveness and what I would say when it came to forgiveness, I was immediately drawn to a story that happened to me years ago. For some of you that don't know, before I was the executive pastor here, I was the middle school pastor. Not as good as Robbie. Not as good as Robbie. Just let, I want to put that out on the table right now. But one of the things is, uh, I, was, I was the middle school pastor um, years and years ago, and I remember something that happened very clearly that I had to ask forgiveness for, for all the middle school students, as well as their parents. I remember it, I remember it like it was yesterday. I was uh, it was 12 years ago, but it was clear as day to me. I was 21 years old, and we were going on a camp uh, to uh, Surf City up in Michigan. And uh, we had about 50 middle school students with us. It was a wonderful time. Uh, we, had, we had a good time there, and we had packed the bus full. And I remember at the end of this long week at camp in the middle of the summer, uh, I remember the camp director saying, Tell your students to bring all their luggage down to the bus, and we'll load it on the bus before you drive away. Well, I remember all getting everybody on the bus. It was Friday uh, mid-morning, and, and sitting on the front of the bus. If you've ever been in one of those camps, you know how that is. It's a wonderful week of camp, so you get home. But everybody's on the bus singing those Christian hymns, you know, I am a C, I am a C-H, I am a C-H-R. And so I'm in the front, right? And I look out my window, and I see a huge pile of luggage on the side of the bus, and I look to my intern who's next to me, and I say, what an idiot. Some youth pastor just left all their kids' luggage at this camp 13 hours away. And then we went back to singing. I am a C. I am a C. And we get all the way home. And I go, it's one of those tour buses where you open up the bottom level and all the, all the luggage is in there. And I remember very clearly... I'm on one side, the intern is on the other, we open up the door, and the only thing we see is each other's faces. And I go, I'm the idiot. So I have two choices. One, I could take, I could take the higher road and take the blame. Or, I could blame the intern. I figured once they were eating his body, I could make my getaway. So we're going to talk about blame shifting here this morning. No, we're not going to do that. It happened to be all the girls' luggage. Just let me put that on there. I, I ended up getting some of the guys' luggage back, but all the girls' luggage was, was gone. So I went around the front of the bus, and we were right outside here at the church. It was like 11 o'clock at night, and I uttered those words that many of us had to utter. I am sorry. Will you forgive me? And I just pictured in my mind the newspaper heading the next day, youth pastor loses luggage, then loses life. 
I can't tell you, church, the reaction that I got. It was like the apocalypse happened. Girls were on the ground screaming and crying out. Why, God, why did this happen? This is the worst thing that's ever happened. I'm never going here again. This is awful. I remember very clearly, though, many of the parents of those middle school students came up to me and said, Jared, we forgive you. I don't know if this has happened before, but we forgive you nonetheless. We forgive you. Don't worry about it. I remember one middle school mom of one of the boys who had just handed her all, her, all his luggage in a big garbage bag and said, why couldn't you have left the boy's luggage up there? <laughs> but they forgave me. They forgave me. Why? Because they, they must have looked at me kind of like I was inexperienced. So it was immature. I didn't know what I was doing. We do this with our children. For any of us who have children, we forgive them instinctively. Because they're inexperienced, they're immature, they don't know what they're doing. The parents looked at me and go, that guy's immature, inexperienced. He doesn't know what he's doing anyway, so let's forgive him. It was easy for him to forgive. For those of us that have pets, we forgive our pets for things because they're immature. They don't know any better anyway, either. Yesterday morning, one of the most awful things I can see is my neighbor out in his pajamas picking up the poop that the dog just left on his front doorstep. And then he goes over and pets the dog and says, oh, good boy. And I go, the audacity, that dog just did his business on your front step, and you go tell him, good job? That's crazy. That's just, that's humiliating. Get a hold of yourself, man. But he forgives him. Why? Because he's inexperienced. He's immature. The dog doesn't know any better. It's easy to forgive. But as adults, as parents, as, as adults, it's hard to forgive others. It's hard to forgive others that have done wrong to us. In this day and age, we hold it against them. Why? Because we're too proud. We look at it as a place of power. I can hold it up against you. If I don't forgive you, I can hold this against you forever. Granting forgiveness is a very humbling experience, isn't it? Because you're giving up the right to get even, to hold it against them, to make them feel bad. It's very humbling. Only someone in a place of power can be humbled enough to forgive. But as we look at this passage this morning, as the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, one thing I want to tell you is that forgiveness is one of the most fundamental things that we can do. Why? Because when we do it, it reflects the highest human virtue because it reflects the character of God. That's why Ephesians 4.32 is so powerful. It says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. There's nothing that demonstrates God's love more than forgiveness. Nothing. So we look at the Lord's Prayer. It's such a pivotal moment. For those of us who can't forgive, we often live lives of bondage, of pain, of anger, of bitterness. I know I was in counseling with someone a while back who had been, uh, was, was angry and bitter and mad and couldn't sleep, had all kinds of anxiety and worries and fears. And one of the things was is he could not forgive somebody that's, he, that's happened to him over 22 years ago. He would not forgive them. And he said, Jared, I'm angry. I'm mad. I've been to counselor after counselor. How many do I need to go to to get rid of this forgiveness? I said, only one, because it's up to you. It's not up to me. It's up to you. You're angry over something that you won't forgive this person 22 years ago. There's many people who live unhappy lives. Some of our marriages are unhappy and bitter, aren't they? 
because of something that they've done to you or something that has happened. Maybe it's, your, maybe it's with your family. Maybe it's with your, with your mom or dad. We live bitter lives. And it will not go away until we forgive. That's why whenever you see, you ask folks who have, who have sought out revenge on those that hurt them, and you say, do you feel better after hurting that person? They always say no. Why? Because you still haven't forgiven them. You still have that unforgiving spirit inside. That's why in his book, uh, Lee, The Last Years, we're talking about a book by Robert E. Lee, Civil War leader. He says, after the Civil War, Robert E. Lee, the general, visited a Kentucky lady who took him to the remains of a grand old tree in front of her house. She bitterly cried out that its limbs and trunk had been destroyed by the federal artillery fire. She looked to Lee for a, a word condemning the North or at least sympathizing with her loss. After a brief silence, General Lee said, Cut it down, madam, and forget it. Cut it down, she said, and forget it? Yes, said General Lee. It's better to forgive the injustices of the past than allow them to remain. If you don't cut it down, you'll let the bitterness take root and poison the rest of the tree. That's what happens. It poisons the rest of the tree. You live bitter, unhealthy lives for the rest of your life. That's why forgiveness is a key. As we look at this passage this morning, I want you to think for a moment what forgiveness really looks like. What does forgiveness really look like? You know, when we read this passage... If you look in the NIV of the Lord's Prayer, it uses the word debtors. Forgive us our debtors as we forgive those who, who have debts against us. Notice the word here is Ophelia, which is another word for sin. And it, represent, it rep, really represents any moral or spiritual debt to God. So don't think of forgiveness as just something that, that, that has to do with money or something else. It's anything that we've done wrong represents a moral, spiritual debt to God. So my question to you this morning is, if forgiveness is such a key to our lives, if it reflects the character of God, if it reflects who we are as believers in Christ, if it frees us from bitter and resentfulness, how do we go about it? Because one of the things I know in the church is people in the church do not like sermons on things that know that they need to do, but have a hard time doing it. Because forgiveness is oftentimes something very difficult to do. So how do we go about it? Understand, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive others who trespass against us. Go hand in hand. So if you want to forgive, if you want to learn to forgive, you've got to know how much Christ forgave you first. That's the key. That's why we read Matthew 18. If you have your Bibles, we're going to look at Matthew 18. It's in your service sheets as well. It says in verse 21 and 22, It says, then Peter came up to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 70 times. 77 times. You got to love Peter. Peter's known for his persistent asking of questions. Lord, why this? Lord, why that? Understand, the Old Testament, the law was you should forgive someone up to three times. So Peter... The good disciple says, Lord, I got, a, I got a question. How many times do I forgive someone? How about seven? It's twice, as, twice plus one more than the Old Testament says. Is that enough, Jesus? Seven? And Jesus says, not seven, but 77. If you look at other translations, the original Greek, it's 70 times seven. 490. 
So what Peter's question really is, is, is it, it's not really how many times. What Peter's real question is, is, Lord, does forgiveness have a limit to it? Does forgiveness have some kind of limit? Is there a point where you can say, you know what, I'm done forgiving you? Jesus replied, it's not 70, but 77, or 7 times 7, 490. Some of you are looking at your spouse and going, 490, I think I'm, I've forgiven you about 480, so I'm pretty close. 490. Don't lose sight. For all practical counts, this is a number beyond counting. Okay? Christ is saying that forgiveness isn't a matter of calculation. It's a matter of the heart. What he's really saying is, Peter, if you really understood forgiveness, Peter, if you really understood what forgiveness meant, you wouldn't be asking me about numbers. You would understand it's not a matter of calculation. It's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. You wouldn't be asking me about limits. If my wife, Deb, reminded me how many times that she has forgiven me, we would both lead very miserable lives. But at the end of the night, she does not remind me how many times she has forgiven me. She simply says, I love you. And that's enough. You see, Deb gets it. She understands that forgiveness is not a matter of calculation. It's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. Jesus goes on to say in verse 23, kingdom of heaven, it says in verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven. Isn't it interesting when you read the Lord's Prayer, Lord's Prayer ends with the kingdom of heaven. Kingdom. The nine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. So right here, Jesus says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like this. It's like what? It's like a king who wants to settle accounts with his servants. As he began his settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. The question is, how much is 10,000 talents? Let me tell you, 10,000 talents is actually millions of dollars. In other translations, it's translated as 10,000 bags of gold. Just as a comparison... Documents show that the combined taxes collected by the Roman government at this time for four providences, Judea, Samaria, Idumea, and Galilee, for one year, all the taxes combined only, ta- only tallied 900 bags of gold. This man owed 10,000. So this man owed 11 times the taxes of four providences. Can you imagine owing 11 times the taxes of four counties around here. It is millions of dollars. This man screwed up royally. I mean, I don't know what he was spending his money on. But these aren't just bad decisions. This man screwed up royally. Can you imagine calling a, one of those debt consolidation companies? Yes, how much do you owe? I owe you about uh, $30 million dollars. This man screwed up bad. So he owes this. It's a massive debt. It's an incalculable debt. How could anybody pay that back? So what happens? Verse 25. Verse 25. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and all his wife and children and all he had be sold to repay the debt. So he can't pay it back. So what's the master do? He says, send him to slavery. Isn't it interesting that he sells him to slavery? Working for no money at all, to pay back a debt that you can't pay. What do we think of that when we, what do we think of when we think of that? We think of hell. Being in a place forever that you don't want to be at, enslaved there, paying back a penalty that you couldn't pay. That's hell. It sells them into slavery. 
a condemned person paying back the unpayable. So then what happens? Verse 26. It says, the servant fell on his knees before me. He said, be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. So what does he do? First off, notice two things here. He fell on his knees. He says, the guilty is charged. He doesn't fight it. He doesn't say, well, I made a bad decision. He goes, hey, you're right. I'm guilty. Guilty as charged. But notice what he says here. He doesn't say, forgive me. He says, be patient with me. Be patient with me. You see, a lot of people do that in church nowadays where they notice, they recognize the enormity of their sin. They recognize how bad they've lived, but yet they don't ask Christ for forgiveness. They simply say, you know what, Christ, be patient with me. I'm going to earn my way back. I'm going to chart being good. I, so, so they become better, better spouses. They become better parents, better employees, better workers. They, they start coming to church. They get involved more. They become better parents. And it has nothing to do with asking for forgiveness. It has everything to do with trying to earn their way back. They're simply saying, be patient, be patient, be patient, be patient. This is what we call moralism. Trying to earn your way back. Paying back a debt you can't pay. That's why when you look at the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our trespasses, we forgive those who trespass against us, it would be absolutely tragic, tragic, church, if those two phrases were reversed. Because I forgive my trespasses, now forgive me. Christ was really thinking when he asked us to pray a certain way. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. This is true, especially as we approach Easter, isn't it? That's why we know that Easter is one of the busiest times of the year for church because people feel, in a sense, bad that they haven't been to church in a while, so they come. Or they'll watch movies like the movie that came out with uh, Christ, who was, uh, I'm forgetting the name of it, Son of God, or the one before that where he was crucified, the uh, Passion of the Christ, sure, Passion of the Christ. And so they'll look at that and they'll, they'll say, oh man, look at Jesus, what a nice man, what a, what a wonderful man, and now he's being beaten and he's up on the cross. And they'll look at Christ and go, oh, that nice man is dying, I should start doing something better now. Understand, Jesus is not up there for us to feel bad for him. Jesus is up there paying a debt that we cannot pay. It's an incalculable debt. He's bearing our sins. So what happens in verse 27? So as soon as, as soon as the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, let him go. Then it goes on to say, when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell on his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went off and told their master everything that had happened. So this guy owes him millions of dollars. Now someone owns him 100 denarii. Do you know how much 100 denarii is? A couple of bucks. Just a couple of dollars. And he goes out and chokes him. I mean, you can just imagine this guy choking this man. My daughter did this to my son yesterday for no reason at all. This man <laughs> had a reason. He only owed him a couple of bucks. And you go, this kid, that's crazy. He just got forgiven for having 10,000 bags of gold, and he goes out and chokes somebody for just a few bucks. We look at the passion and go, that man is crazy to do that. And I say to you, are we any different? 
We have been forgiven so much, an incalculable debt. But then when someone wrongs us, we want to choke them. We want to hold it against them. Notice who it was. It was, a, it was a fellow slave. A fellow slave. Someone who should know just about the same as he should know, the same boat that he was in, of how much it would mean to you to be forgiven of all your debt. Christians, we as Christians should know so much of how we've been forgiven. Shouldn't we have that same forgiving spirit with other Christians? as opposed to going out and choking them, holding it against them. That's why Lord Herbert said, he who cannot forgive others breaks down the bridge over which he himself must pass. We have to forgive because we've been forgiven so much. We have to forgive. So then what happens in verse 32? It says, the master called the servant in said, you wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. And then it says in verse 33 as we continue on, shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just had I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailer to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how your heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brothers from your heart. It's funny. Torture is a good word here. To be tortured forever. To live a torturous life. A life of bitterness. A life of anger. A life of resentment. A life which pushes spouses from each other. Pushes parents from their own kids. That is a torturous life. It's torturous. Not only is it torturous for you. But notice it's torturous for your families. For your wife. And for the kids. Why? Because that bleeds into everything else in life. The man that I spoke to you about lived an unhappy life and his family lived an unhappy life because he was miserably angry and bitter. Bleeds over. So what is he to do? What is he to do? If he's torturous and he's being sold into slavery to pay back a debt that he can't pay... What is his option? He only has one option. His option is to have a change of heart. That's his only option. It's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. Because when you're prompted, to, prompted by the gratitude of forgiveness, we forgive others. So here's the question. What's the application? The application, I have to tell you, is if you're in this room and you're having trouble forgiving somebody, maybe it's a spouse or a parent or a loved one or employee, whatever, there's no way that you're going to be able to forgive them unless you understand how much you've been forgiven. There's no way. So the question is, as we, in the way of application, is what you need to know is that we are all debtors. We are all debtors. It's an incalculable debt. That's why Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God separates us from God. God's so holy, he can't be around sin. So sin separates us from God. It's so much separates us. None of us can pay it back. None of us can. Romans 3.20, Therefore no one will be declared righteous in his own sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. Thirdly, we must confess our sin. We must get down on our knees and say, guilty as charged. Guilty as charged. We must ask Christ to forgive us and cleanse us. 
You know, when you think about the Lord's Supper, as we approach Monday, Thursday, we think about the Lord's Supper. If you remember the story, Jesus put on a towel and started washing the disciples' feet, right? If you remember the story. And if you remember what Peter, Peter again, what does Peter say? Peter says, Lord, don't wash my feet. You shall never wash my feet, Jesus. But what does Jesus say? Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Feet not presented cannot be washed. When we don't confess our sins, how can he forgive us? When we don't confess that we've done something wrong or that we have an incalculable debt, how can he forgive us? We must confess to him. But what's wonderful is that in 1 John is that if we confess our sins, he is what? Faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And by means of Christ, the debt has been forgiven. He wipes us clean. His death wipes us clean, head to toe. We'll sing a song here in a minute called Grace Like an Avalanche. What's an avalanche? An avalanche covers you from head to toe, doesn't it? That's what Christ's death does by grace. Covers us from head to toe. It's grace like an avalanche. Finally, then, forgiveness towards others, therefore, is a renewed heart, isn't it? Once we understand our debt, once we understand how much we've been forgiven, then we can forgive. Unfortunately, you know, we live in a society that says, look, go around, keep your head up high. Think that you've got it all going on. There's that confidence booster. Look at me. Look how much I've done. Look how much I've earned or done. And we go around with this kind of this, this head held high, look at me type of attitude. The problem with it, that is, is that the more you go around thinking that you've got it all going on, the more and more easily it is to hold all kinds of grudges against other people because you don't think that you deserve the punishment or that whatever the insult is that you received. In reality, when you look at the gospel, in order to feel good about yourself, in order to free yourself from the bitterness and resentment that you have, you almost have to start with the premise that, that how bad you are. Because then you realize how much incalculable debt that Christ paid for your behalf. Because you realize how far it's gone. And how much Christ had to pay for your sin. And then once you start recognizing how much Christ paid for you, then you start to realize, you know what, I can receive forgiveness. Now I can give it as well. Because I realize how much Christ forgave me, I can forgive others as well. And free yourself from the bitterness and resentment that life might bring. That's the basis of the gospel. Once you learn to accept it, you can give it. Now, the question that some people bring up is, well, Jared, how can I, when I forgive somebody, isn't that just justifying what they've done, just as if they didn't do it? I always tell people, listen, you can forgive somebody, but never be reconciled to them. You may never have a relationship with that person. If a guy cuts me off in the car, I could forgive him, or run him off the road. I could forgive him, but I may never have a relationship with him. That's what you have to understand. Understand, when Christ died, did he die for us first, or did we confess first? That's why Romans 5, 8 is so critical. It says, but God demonstrated his own love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We forgive not because we're justifying what they've done. We're forgiving because we understand how much we've been forgiven. Genuine forgiveness doesn't deny anger. It faces it head on. So how do you do it? What are the steps to granting forgiveness? Some people are sitting next to each other who you're, you're lucky that you're in the room together right now. 
And as soon as you go out in the car, you're just going to start the argument all over again that you had coming in. Forgiveness means has nothing to do with whether or not they're saying sorry. Forgiveness has to do with we forgive because Christ forgave us. But you do need to acknowledge the pain that, you've, that, that has caused you. You need to acknowledge the pain. You need to be specific with future expectations. So if you're talking to spouses and you've been hurt, say, listen, I forgive you. In the future, this is what I would expect differently. Give us the right to get even. Say, listen, I'm not going to get even. I'm going to let go of blame and resentment. And then communicate your act of forgiveness. I, I forgive you. Somebody once stopped me a while back and said, you know, when we do things like this, um, communicate forgiveness, do we wait till our heart is totally different, even though we don't feel like forgiving? Does it work from the outside in or the inside out? In other words. I say, listen, you may not totally feel like forgiving that person, but you communicate that to them, and then it starts working on the inside, outside in. You let go of blame. You let go of res- resentment. You let go of bitterness. And then you work towards reconciliation, if possible. Finally, forgiveness of others really delivers us from God's discipline, as we read there. Just like the punishment for forgiveness if, for an unforgiving spirit, so will we be with that servant. Why? Because it's the basis of the gospel. By denying so, we're really denying what Christ did for us. Because only a forgiving person who gives evidence of being forgiven. When we don't, we diminish the gospel. So, as the band comes, I have just a few questions for you. Two questions. Two questions. The first question is this. First off, have you ever acknowledged the enormity of your sin? Maybe you're in here and you've never realized how much sin you had and you're just trying to earn your way back. And you've never confessed to Christ that you need forgiveness and ask him to come into your life. I encourage you, you need to do that this morning. Otherwise, forget the rest of the passage. You need to do that first. But the second question is, for all of us, maybe you're someone in your life who you need to forgive. And you're struggling to do so. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's a spouse, an employee, your neighbor, somebody. And you've refused to do so. My question for you this morning is, are you able from this point on to go out and say, you know what, I'm going to do that. I'm going to seek to have a change of heart and forgive them. Not because you have to, but because you understand how much Christ has forgiven you. We do so because it's the basis of the gospel. We do so because Christ forgave us. We do so because it frees us from a life of bitterness and resentful, a torturous life. That's why I leave you with one quote that sums up this entire passage so perfectly by Lewis Smedes, who says, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and then to discover that prisoner was actually you. Let's pray. God, thanks for today, Father. Thank you, for, thank you so much for the fact that you've saved us, Father. Father, that you've washed us clean. Father, help us to confess those things to you. Maybe there's somebody in this room who has never done that, Father. Help them to see you this morning. Recognize they have sinned, Father, and come to you. Confess with their mouth, Father, and they will be saved, Father. Pray that they do that this morning. And for the rest of us, Father, who are struggling with forgiveness, holding things over other people, Father, help us to learn from you, Father, to forgive our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Thanks for today. Be with us. We ask these things in your name. Amen.